1: Landon broke my glasses, big, big Landon, not little Landon, and so you'll have to excuse me, I've I, they fall off, I taped them, but they fall off if I lean forward, so I've got this contraption here, I'm going to strap in, no, no, so if, if, yeah, so if you notice something that looks a little strange, that's why, that's right, yeah, well they say preaching is a, is a, physical exercise, and so, you know, you need the sportswear to prove it. (laughs) Oh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we call upon you this morning, because all of the fullness of wisdom and light is found in you. Mercifully, Lord, enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your Word. Give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought, so that we may glorify your holy name and in everything that we do, that we may live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, and that we may edify our neighbor by our good example, giving to you, Lord, the love and obedience which you so uh, desire. Lord, graciously give us this thing, since you have graciously received us this morning among the number of your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to be continuing in our series in Philippians. So grab your Bibles. Uh, Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. I want to begin this morning by reading our text, Philippians 2, chapters 9, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, hear the words of God this morning. Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Well, there is power in example. There's power in visualization. There's Power in being able to see something with your own eyes. This is true in many areas of life, but it's especially true when it comes to learning a, a new skill. When it comes to learning how to how to do something, how to accomplish a task. You know what I mean? It's, it's helpful when you're trying to learn something new, to see someone do it, to be an example. It makes learning something much faster and easier. Think about trying to learn how to write without watching someone write. It would be very difficult. This is why a lot of us love YouTube, right? I mean, there's the joke, but it's not really even a joke, that you can learn how to do almost anything on YouTube. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever learned how to do something on YouTube. That's almost everyone. And if you haven't, now's the time to start. Anything you want to do, you can learn on YouTube. Uh, I, I that's the power of example. You can watch someone do it, and that's why it's so easy. I mean, we've had cassette tapes and audio recordings for so long, but when you can see someone do it, it makes it so much easier to do. Probably the, the hardest thing I ever learned on YouTube was uh, I actually I replaced the radiator in my car based on a YouTube video. Um, I, I didn't want to pay the mechanic to do it, right? And so I got, I got one of those Haynes manuals, you know what I'm talking about? And those are great, and they have pictures and everything, but I I just didn't feel confident enough with just the manual. And so I looked it up on YouTube, and sure enough, there was a guy who videotaped himself replacing his radiator in the same car, and uh, I set up my computer in the garage and just kind of worked along with him as he went, and I successfully did it. Um, I'm sure that has nothing to do with why my car would overheat all the time. It, it's not, nothing to do with it. Uh, I, I really don't think it did, but maybe that's just my own delusions. Uh, but, but watching the video gave me the confidence to, to, to go for the task. I was able to see exactly what I needed to do and to then follow along and do it. Maybe for you it's, it's a makeup tutorials or, or learning how to do your hair or, or something like that. But having an example makes learning it easier. It, being able to see and then imitate what you've seen is one of the best ways to learn. But having an example also has another effect. Sometimes having an example helps us because it, it, it allows us to see someone do something that we didn't think was possible. And so then we realize, hey, maybe I could do the same thing. Examples inspire us. Maybe you're bummed you didn't go to college when everyone else did and you feel too old. Well, one of my professors in, in undergrad didn't even start college until she was in her mid-30s and then got her PhD by the time she was 45 or something like that. But, but if you hadn't seen that example, you might think, well, I'm 30, it's too late to go to college. But she, she did it, she accomplished it, and was now a successful college professor. That example gives us the inspiration to know that this is possible. Or maybe you're, you're trying to get motivated to lose weight or something like that, and you just feel like it's too much, I can't do it. But then you see one of those videos. We've seen these videos where this guy or gal just starts very slowly, very slowly, and sure enough, they're in shape and doing yoga and all sorts of stuff. That type of example gives us the inspiration because we can watch someone just like us accomplish something that we didn't think was possible. That's the power of examples. And we need examples. We need examples to learn from. We This is why in school we have teachers and not just textbooks. We we need examples to remind us that things are possible and we need examples to show us how to do things. This is true in every sphere of life and it is especially true for us as Christians. This is why many of us have, have benefited from Reading biographies of great Christian men and women, they are examples of people that have gone before us. It's, it's why it's so inspiring and encouraging to hear stories from church history about the, the lives of faithful saints who have gone before us. Be, because we, we see their faithfulness, we see their, their courage, their passion, their holiness. And we know that by the grace of God, we too can hold fast to the faiths, if, faith if they They were men and women just like us. There's nothing special about these people. We know that by the grace of God, we too can grow in our sanctification. We too can be used greatly of God. We see and we know that it is possible. We learn from them about the Christian life simply by looking at their example and imitating it. Well, God the Holy Spirit, the, the author of the inspired scriptures, knows this as well. This is why all throughout the scriptures, we see many calls to imitation. And we see countless good and bad examples to look at. Now, the Apostle Paul is one of the writers of scripture who uses this language of example the most. He, he uses this language of example and imitation constantly. Here's just a couple of examples I have 1 Corinthians 10.6, he says this about the Old Testament. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So there's a bad example. These things, he says, we can read the Old Testament. God, these things happened so that we might look at that as an example and not do what they did. That's an example. In 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul writes this, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul there says, the reason Christ saved me was to show essentially how merciful and patient he can be with the sinful person. So look to me as your example of the grace of God. And later in our very letter here in Philippians, Paul gives a clear command to imitate Him, as well as those who live their life as He does. He writes this in Philippians 3.17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In other words, what he's saying is, You can look to my life. Just do what I do and you will be faithful to God. Walk according to the example of the faithful men and women that you see. Watch them and imitate them. An example To imitate. And that is exactly what we're going to see in our text today. Throughout our study in Philippians, Paul has been calling us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is the call of the letter to the Philippians. He's called us to unity, he's called us not to be frightened, He's, he's called us to place the needs of everyone above the needs of ourselves. He's called us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. And and after Paul had called us to that in the beginning of chapter 2, what did he do next? He gave us the prime example of selflessness. Christ Jesus himself, who became enfleshed and, and was crucified. And now Paul called us in that text, if you remember, to have the same mindset Christ did. In other words, what he's saying is, look to Christ not only as your savior, but as your example. He called us to think like Christ and we are to imitate Christ in that. Now after that, in verse 17 of chapter two, Paul showed us an example in himself of his selflessness and humility. He rejoiced at the thought of dying and spending his life for the faith of the Philippians. He wrote this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. That is Paul putting forth himself as an example of selflessness, of humility. Paul, is, Paul has called us to humility, and now he is showing us what it looks like by his own words. He's giving us an example, a living example. He's demonstrating how we should think of these things. And that's exactly what he does in this morning's text as well. In our text today, Paul presents Timothy to us as yet another example of what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And this is powerful, again, because you can look at Christ and say, okay, I know I'm supposed to imitate Christ, but he was God in the flesh. I am not. Therefore, you can kind of make an excuse, right? Not a good one, but you can make an excuse. You can look at Paul and say, well, I'm not an apostle, so you you can make an excuse, but Timothy... Timothy is a man just just like me or you. He's a regular guy. Now he's, who was Timothy? What do we know about Timothy from the scriptures? Well, we know that Timothy was Paul's apprentice. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul kind of picks up Timothy on his missionary journeys, which is right before he goes to Philippi. So Timothy was with Paul when they founded the church in Philippi. But Timothy basically followed Paul everywhere he went. Timothy was, was with Paul and Silas in Philippi. We know that Paul wrote at least two letters to Timothy that we have, 1st and 2nd Timothy, which chronologically will happen after this, so he hasn't written them yet in our timeline. But, but also this, and this is something you may not have thought of before you skipped over, But 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and Philemon all are addressed from Paul and Timothy to the churches in those cities. So Timothy was was one of Paul's co-laborers. Timothy was was in lockstep with the Apostle Paul. He lived in the shadow of the Apostle Paul, you might say. And we find out even in Hebrews 13, 23, that Timothy, just like Paul, had been imprisoned for his faith, for the sake of of the gospel. So so this is the Timothy that Paul is talking about here in Philippians 2. And and this is the Timothy that Paul in our text hopes to send to the Philippian church. Remember, Paul's in prison, so he can't go himself yet. He does say he hopes to go, but he can't go yet. So he'll do the next best thing. He'll send Timothy. And explicit in Paul's words here about Timothy is the example of Timothy. Now, now, the outline for this morning's sermon is simple. We're going to see in this text five traits of a useful servant of Christ. Five traits of a useful servant of Christ. In other words, like watching a YouTube tutorial, we're going to look at Timothy's life in this passage and learn five character traits that should mark your life if you are seeking to be useful in God's service. And my prayer and hope is that every one of you is seeking to be useful in God's service. So let's take Timothy as our example this morning. Let us learn to imitate him. So, the first trait is this. Trait number one. A useful servant of Christ trusts completely in God's plan. A useful servant of Christ trusts completely in God's plan. Those who are useful to Christ are those who trust Christ. Those who will be fruitful in Christ's work are those who trust in Christ's plan. A useful servant of Christ must trust completely in God's plan. Look at look at verse 19. Paul says, "I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you." Now, admittedly, we're cheating a bit here because this is still Paul talking of himself. But 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 you can't skip over this because this is important. Paul's doing this intentionally. So in verse 19, the beginning of our section, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Look at verse 24. He ends by saying, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now this language is important. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, it's that he doesn't just use idle words. Everything is intentional. Look at his train of thought. Even in sending Timothy, it's conditioned on the mission and will of God. Paul believes sending Timothy will further Christ's mission. But he doesn't ultimately know what God's plan is. God had frustrated Paul's plans many times before. And so even in his writing, this comes out. I hope to send Timothy to you, assuming that's part of God's plan, is basically what he's saying. And later in verse 24, I think I will be able to come to you soon if God wills it, is is my paraphrase. You see how he's thinking, He's demonstrating a principle that he will later later display in Timothy. Paul here is seeking only the interests of Christ Jesus. He's essentially saying, this is my plan, but if God's plan is different, that's okay. He wants the Philippians to see this mindset. He thinks it would be better for Timothy to go to the Philippians, but ultimately he trusts in God's plan and God's sovereignty, not his own. This comes out in his writing. In fact, look, look at your Bible. Like I said earlier, verse 19 and verse 24, this section is framed in God's sovereignty from the beginning to the end. Paul trusts completely in God's plan and by extension, so does Timothy. They believe that God is sovereign. They believe that God's is work is at work and they believe that God is accomplishing his kingdom work through them. God is in control and they trust that control. So if you want to be a useful servant of Christ, you too must trust in his plan and not your own. But but notice something here. You see, Paul's belief and trust in God's plan drove him to action. Okay, so it did not lead him to inaction or passivity. Paul's belief in God's sovereignty did not leave him sitting in prison saying, well, I don't know, if God wants Timothy to go to Philippi, I guess God can send Timothy. No, Paul's trust in God's plan is what enabled him and drove him to action, to send Timothy. Paul believes and trusts in God's sovereignty, and so Paul works with all the energy that he has, knowing that God is at work and so his work will not be fruitful. you, You see the difference in those two mindsets. Paul didn't use God's sovereignty as an excuse not to do anything. Rather, it was the motivation for all of his work. This is important to see. See, because Paul knew God was in control, and so Paul planned to do things. But he made his plans with open hands, saying, God, these these are my plans. This is what I think is best, but if, if you know better, then you change them. And I'm submitted to that. Paul made his plans to send Timothy and simply held them with an open hand. I see that. And Paul knew that if God did ruin his plans, it would be for the best anyway. That's where the trust comes in. Paul trusted completely in God's plan. Now, remember, think about this. Paul is, is in prison, awaiting to find out if he's going to be beheaded or not. And, and this hasn't shaken his belief, his trust in God's good plan. He's not sitting there saying, well, I guess it's over for me. If God wants to save these people, he'll do something about it. No, he's sitting in prison saying, he's not sitting in prison saying, why has God done this? Why is this God's plan? No, he's sitting in prison strategizing, saying, what can I do in my situation now for the kingdom of Christ? The Philippian church needs encouragement. I can't go, so what can I do? I'll send Timothy. Paul strategically uses his position to know Christ deeper and to make him known because he knows that God is sovereign. Well, let's reflect on this for a moment. Do you trust in God's sovereignty? Are, are you trusting in his plan? Now, I'm not asking if you believe in the doctrine of God's sovereignty. I'm, I'm not asking if you think that God is in control, but do you trust his sovereignty? Do you trust his plan? Do you trust that his plan is better than yours? Those are are two different things. It's it's one thing to to believe it intellectually, but do you trust it? See, faith is not simply acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he lived. It's it's trusting in him as your savior. And in the same way, it's, it's not enough to just Assent that yes, God is in control, but we must trust in His control because He is good. And and if we're trusting in His sovereignty, then like Paul, this should drive us into action, not leave us excuses not to do anything. That that is the biblical model of, of trust in God's sovereignty. Paul moved forward because he knew God was working. So if you would be useful to Christ, you must trust him. You must trust his plan. You must trust his sovereignty. And you must let it drive you into action, knowing that God is sovereignly working everything for his purpose. A useful servant of Christ trusts completely in God's plan. That's, that's trait number one. Trait number two. The useful servant of Christ is like-minded with Paul. The useful servant of Christ is like-minded with Paul. The useful servant of Christ thinks like Paul. The useful servant of Christ is, is an imitator of the Apostle Paul. He aims to be like the Apostle Paul. This trait is found in verse 20. Look what he says. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. You see, Timothy was Paul's first, and only choice to send. Why? I don't have anyone else like him. For there was no one else like Timothy with Paul in Rome. I have no one like him. Now, in the Greek, it's a really interesting word here. And essentially, literally means I have no one like-minded. I have, I have no one united with me. I have no one else here who thinks like me is essentially what he's saying. I don't have anyone else here who I trust will do what I want them to. do, You see, Timothy was a devoted apprentice of the Apostle Paul. He was an imitator of Christ and also an imitator of Paul. And because of this, he thought like Paul. Paul could say, me and Timothy are of one mind. That's how close they were. This language kind of sounds strange, right? Like we get imitating Christ, but imitating a mere man, imitating Paul, yes, but we are called to that as well. We are called to be imitators of Christ, but scripture also calls us to imitate Paul. Why? Because Paul is imitating Christ. This becomes evident in 1 Corinthians 4, where almost an identical situation is happening. You'll notice here that Paul also sends Timothy again in this text. Turn, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chap, uh, verse 14. Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed... But to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Look what he says. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now look what he says. That is why I sent to you Timothy. So that's how like-minded they were. To imitate, imitate Timothy was to imitate Paul. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, To remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. Paul says, I sent you Timothy to remind you of what I teach, because Timothy and Paul were so like minded. Paul says, Imitate me, because I'm imitating Christ. You see, Paul knew there were other people in the Corinthian church who were calling for the Corinthians to imitate them, but they weren't imitating Christ. That is why we can trust the Apostle Paul. And if you flip over to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he states it again very simply. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So why was Timothy useful to the Apostle Paul and by extension to God? Because he followed Paul's example. He imitated Paul. And we are called to do the same. Now now you might ask the question, well, okay, Timothy knew Paul. So obviously he could imitate Paul. But how do we imitate Paul? Paul's dead, right? True. True. But in God's providence, Paul has left us a great body of work inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And so as we read and study Paul in his letters, we learn to imitate Paul. We learn to think and act like Paul and by extension like Christ Jesus who inspired this text. So as we digest Romans and and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and Philemon, we don't just read them for information. We read them to transform our minds to think like Christ and to think like Paul praying that the Holy Spirit would make us more like Christ. We want to be of the same mind with the Apostle Paul because he was of the same mind as Christ. Now Paul was used greatly by God. What better person to imitate? What better example to follow? And so if you want to be useful in God's service, be like Timothy. Imitate Paul who was imitating Christ. Fix your mind and heart constantly on the word of God. Let it transform the way that you think. So that's two traits so far we've seen. The useful servant of Christ trust God Trust completely in God's plan. And number two, the useful servant of Christ is like-minded with Paul. Well, number three is this. The useful servant of Christ is genuinely concerned for the welfare of other believers. The useful servant of Christ cares for the spiritual needs of his brothers and sisters in the faith. To be useful in the service of Christ, you have to actually genuinely care for your brothers and sisters in the Faith. Look again at verse 20. Paul says, For I have no one like him, so we saw that, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So what set Timothy apart was that he would genuinely care for the needs of the Philippians. In the context here, it's talking about spiritual needs. Paul, Paul is looking around him while he's writing this in Rome saying, I have no one I can trust who will actually genuinely care. For your needs, Philippians, but Timothy, genuinely concerned. He will be genuinely concerned for your needs. It's not a shallow concern. This is a genuine concern. Notice what Paul's not saying. He's not saying that others won't care for the Philippians. He, he's not saying that others won't attempt to meet the needs. He's saying, "I have no one who will be genuinely concerned. I have no one who loves you as deeply as Timothy. Timothy is the only one who will be actually and sincerely burdened in his heart for your well-being. In other words, Timothy is not just a shallow, outward, obedient Christian, but he is obedient from the heart. His heart cares for the Philippians. He genuinely loves them and wants their welfare. And this is a trait, brothers and sisters, we also must have for one another. If we are to be useful to God, we are called to be genuinely concerned for each other's needs, both physical and spiritual. We are called to be sincerely seeking out how we can help one another grow spiritually. This is not just the job of a a pastor, but of every Christian. This is a key part of what it means to love one another well. One commentator puts it this way. He said, genuine concern... For the spiritual health of fellow believers is a tangible demonstration of Christ-like character. It's a tangible demonstration of Christ-like character. This love and care for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters is one of the primary ways we evidence Christ in our lives. Christ uses us to help each other. This love and care for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters is one of the primary ways that God uses us in each other's lives. And we saw in our text this morning in Matthew 25 that when we care for each other, we are by extension caring for Christ. That's what that whole text is about. Well, when did we ever give you a cup of water? Well, when you gave one of your brothers and sisters a cup of water, you gave it to me. You see, we are all one in the body of Christ. And as we care for one another spiritually and physically, we minister to Christ himself. That's the mystery. And that's the blessing and that's why it's so important and a critical part of the Christian life. That's why 1 John says, you can't be a Christian and not love your brothers and sisters. It just does not make sense. It can't happen. Because someone who loves Christ will love his body. And someone who loves his body is loving Christ. Our Lord Jesus said this in John 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the mark of the church. Mutual love. And this is how people will know that we are disciples of Christ. By our love. Let the world see how we love one another. There's no such thing as a loveless Christian because Christ loved us when we were unlovable. Now we all struggle. Obviously we have seasons in our life where things are harder and certain people that are harder, of course, but in those times we must look to Christ who loved us when there was nothing lovely in us and gave himself for us. That is the way we must love one another. And we must pray that God would warm our hearts toward one another. We must pray that God would transform our hearts to be more and more genuinely concerned for each other's spiritual well-being because the useful servant of Christ is genuinely concerned for the welfare of other believers. That is a mark of usefulness to God and that is everyone's role here at OVBC to be caring for the spiritual needs of everyone else. It's not just the job of, of the people with the suit and tie and the broken glasses. <laughs> My new glasses are coming tomorrow, by the way, so don't worry. You won't have to see this thing anymore. Uh, <laughs> so those are the three traits. Trait number four. Trait number four. The useful servant of Christ seeks the interests of Christ above all else. You can see how these begin to overlap. The useful servant of Christ seeks the interest of Christ above all else. Christ's useful servant seeks the advance of the gospel above all else. That's the interest of Christ. The cause of Christ is the the all-consuming passion of the useful servant. In other words, to put it in the words of another scripture, the useful servant of Christ seeks first the kingdom of God. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. Again, describing Timothy's uniqueness and his example. For they, these other believers that are with him in Rome, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Why was Timothy so useful to Paul and ultimately to God? He sought the interest of Jesus Christ. It's simple. Timothy put the needs of Christ above his own. Timothy dedicated his life to knowing Christ and making him known. Timothy's life was focused and given to the advance of the gospel. He was single-minded. And it's not like other people who were with Paul were evil people, but they were caught up. They were distracted in their own affairs, their own interests, so much so that they became useless to the Apostle Paul. They they were too busy with their own affairs to be of any benefit to Christ. They were distracted from the one thing. They were focused on themselves, focused on their careers, focused on their families, whatever it may be. They were not seeking the interest of Christ. They were seeking their own interests. But but it doesn't work like this. You can't serve both yourself and Christ. Christ is either everything or or he's nothing. Jesus Christ will will not be a side dish in your main course is over here. Christ is is not to be an item on your to-do list, but the master of the list itself. We, we, We know this. But we must be reminded because we so quickly relapse into a Christ as a side dish mentality. Christ is, he's over here on Sundays and then I kind of just pursue my own interest during the week. But it can't be. Not only will it be useless, but but we deny the words of Christ himself. Listen, Listen to what Christ says. Listen to how he calls us. In Matthew 16, 24, he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Luke 9, 23, he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In Matthew 10, 37, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. At John 12, 25, he says again, he who loves his life, he who pursues his own interests will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. These are hard words, but they're directly from the mouth of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ who gave up everything for us. This is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus demands our whole lives, our whole selves. We don't, we don't have the option. There's no third option. Well, okay, I want to be one of those Christians, though, who doesn't really sacrifice anything. That's not an option. It's either all in or all out. And if, we, when, if when we do, wow, that made no sense. Okay, if we relapse, which, again, there's seasons. It's not saying you have to be perfect. When we relapse, we must Repent. And ask for forgiveness, and we must return to our first love. Again, this isn't just a call. We we too quickly put this off. Okay, well that's for like those pastors or missionaries, like they do that. But that, that's not for just like us regular Christians. No, it is. It's for everyone who names the name of Christ. These are the words of Jesus, and this is illustrated marvelously by Saint Patrick. Happy Saint Patrick's Day, by the way. You see, Saint Patrick. I don't know if you know this, but he wasn't even Irish. He was British. When he was a young boy, he was captured by Irish pirates and taken to Ireland and forced into slavery. And after many years of slavery, he eventually escaped and went back to England. But as he was home, he, he, he couldn't continue to pursue his own interests. The, the interests of Christ became his interests, and he felt for the people back in Ireland who were pagan. He couldn't stop thinking about them. And so what did he do? He, he put the interests of Christ above his own and he set sail for Ireland and he was determined to preach the gospel to the whole country. He's put his life in grave danger but nevertheless Patrick was used greatly by God because he was willing to pursue the interests of Christ eventually baptizing the king and many 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 people throughout Ireland planting churches and baptizing people in the name of Christ Jesus. You see these believers in Rome had rendered themselves useless to Paul and to Christ because they did not seek Christ's interest. They were too busy with their own interests. And as we look to Timothy's example this morning, I would urge you to take stock of, of what you are seeking after. Be honest with yourself. Are In your life, the aim of your life, is it your interest or is it Christ's interest? Now again I, this doesn 't mean you have to go be a missionary. I mean by all means, please, we need more, but that doesn't mean that, but in the aim of your life, what are you seeking? Are you seeking Christ in his glory, or are you seeking your own comfort? Where, where in your life have you chosen to pursue your own benefit rather than christ is Is it a sin maybe you 've gotten into? Is it a career that you 've idolized? is it Perhaps you've just become uninterested in the things of God. You've allowed your heart to become cold. You've lost your passion for the spread of the gospel. I I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, let us together confess our foolishness and repent and turn back to Christ, who is merciful in our time of need. And let us, by the grace of God, renew our usefulness to him by seeking after his interests above our own. That's the fourth mark. So, the useful servant of Christ trusts completely in God's plan. They're like-minded with the Apostle Paul, genuinely concerned for the welfare of other believers and seeking the interest of Christ above all else. The fifth trait is simple. The useful servant of Christ gives themselves to gospel work. Put simply, to be useful to Christ, you have to actually seek to be useful to Christ. What is the work of Christ? Well, to know him and make him known, like we've been talking about and as we'll continue to talk about in the letter of the Philippians. The useful servant of Christ intentionally gives himself to this work. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How did he prove himself? How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy served in the gospel. He stood apart from the other believers in Rome in that he served in the gospel. He gave himself to the gospel work. What does this mean? It's simple. He helped other people follow Jesus. That's the gospel work. To unbelievers, he shared the gospel. To believers, he shared the gospel and helped them in their spiritual life. Timothy made it his aim to work for Christ, to help other people follow Jesus. It's that basic. You can do that anywhere, in any occupation, in any place that you are. He served the church. He was simply a faithful follower of Christ. And you and I, if we're faithful to Christ also, we must give ourselves to this work. That is part of the call of the discipleship of Christ. One pastor said it this way, I heard this last week. He said, if you're not helping other people follow Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say that you're following Jesus. Now let me restate that because it's, 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 it just pierces right to the heart. He said, if You're not helping other people follow Jesus, which again can take many forms. I don't know what you mean when you're saying that you follow Jesus. What that means and why he says this is part of following and obeying Christ is helping other people following and obeying Christ. That's the gospel work. Help everyone around you to follow Jesus better, wherever they are on their spiritual journey, whether they believe or don't believe. Share the gospel. Are they believers? Help them grow. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be a scholar. You just need to be faithful. And if you will be faithful in this, God will use you. Brothers and sisters, give yourself to this work. This this is the example of Timothy. And these are the traits of a useful servant of Christ. This is the example that we are called to imitate. The useful servant of Christ trusts completely in God's plan, is like-minded with Paul, is genuinely concerned for the welfare of other believers, seeks the interests of Christ above all else, and gives themselves to the gospel work. You see, because Timothy was faithful in these things, he was useful. Paul writes in verse 23, Therefore, so because Timothy is this guy, I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. But, but remember something. Timothy is just a normal guy. He, sometimes we look at these people in the Bible and we think they're superheroes or they have an extra dose of the Holy Spirit or, or there's something. He's not. He's just like you and me. This is why he's such a great example and such a great inspiration. Timothy is, is not an example because he's perfect. Timothy had struggles just, just like we do. I mean, if you read First and Second Timothy, you can read the stuff that Paul's saying that he's worried Timothy might do. Timothy had struggles. Timothy was, was timid. He struggled with these things. You see, both Paul and Timothy were sinners saved by the grace of God, like you and I. They were not great because of anything within them, but because of the one outside of them. They, they were not used by God greatly because they were extraordinary people, but because they knew an extraordinary Savior. They, they knew and believed the good news of Christ, See, all five of these traits that we talked about are not traits that Paul and Timothy were born with. They are not traits that they worked up within themselves. They are traits that God instilled in them as they looked to Christ in faith. And if you would be useful to God, you too must look away from yourself and to Christ for salvation and for usefulness. You, you must look to Christ for everything. And then and only then will will your heart be transformed into his image slowly but surely. This is the pattern laid out in the scriptures for us. God didn't save you because you were useful to him. God saved you to make you useful to him. And by his grace, wherever you are on that journey, he will continue to use you if you respond in faith. This pattern is Set said out most clearly in Paul's letter to Titus, another imitator of Paul. He says this in Titus chapter three, verses three, he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a miserable state. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Because we were useful? No, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is the gospel, and here's its effect Paul writes, he continues, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. God says the gospel is true. Therefore, you can be useful to God because of his grace. Believe this, brothers and sisters. Believe this with all your heart and God will use you in a mighty way. And when you find yourself lacking in faith, Pray to him. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, help me. We serve a good and merciful God who gave himself for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You are mighty. We stand in awe of you this morning. And yet in your Goodness, you have descended to us, a sinful people, and given your Son on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So Father, help us this morning. Father, make us useful for your work. Father, use us in your work. For everyone here, Father, wherever that I, they're at, I pray that you speak to them this morning in that capacity. Show them where they're lacking, Father, and give them the grace and help they need to grow. Make us useful, Father. Father, I end our prayer this morning with with the words of St. Patrick. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Let this be true of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you.